Good evening. Please, thank you for, for being here tonight. Really appreciate it. Tonight I'd like to discuss a paradox. The scriptures are full of them. I once knew an obstetrician who was married to a neurosurgeon. Now they were a paradox. Along those same lines, I've often wondered what two bulls had anything to do with all the stories that Jesus told. But that's another lesson. Think about it. A paradox is a statement that may seem absurd, that just doesn't make any sense at all. But it's actually true. The paradox I want to talk about tonight is how God's power working in us is perfected in our weaknesses. One of the biggest challenges that we face as Christians, knowing all of our weaknesses, is to see, God, see ourselves as God sees us. Rather than focus on the great joy that we have in Christ, being with God continually free of guilt, we all too often focus on our weaknesses, don't we? I don't know about you, but that's a real joy killer for me. The world certainly doesn't help. We continually see sin in the world, and we're constantly reminded of our own sin as we react to the world and work to keep ourselves pure, and many times we fail. And I know that bothers me, and I'm sure it bothers you. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 sums up for us what we are to be as Christians. He sets the standard that we are to live by, a standard of love. He makes the transition from the old law to the new law. It's not enough not to commit adultery. We can't lust. It's not about not committing murder. We can't hate. We can't even think about it. Sometimes hard to do, isn't it? It's not enough to love those who love us. We have to love our enemies. We have to do good to those who would despitefully use us to mistreat us and harm us. Jesus sets a standard for us regarding sin that's very, very high. But you know, that standard is even higher than what we might normally realize. He ends this passage with a command, and it is a command. And Verse 48 of Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? When you think about it, God and the Son of God telling us to be perfect? Well, how can that be? You know, God does not arbitrarily command from us that which we can't achieve. So this command is not only a command, it is an expectation and it is a promise. He fully expects us to meet this standard and we can only through the help of his son. He enables us to be perfect and as we stand in his presence blameless, he sees us as perfect. Jude 24 and verse in 25 it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, and now and forever. Amen. So how do you define perfect? You define perfect when you can't find anything wrong with it. Well, if you listen to what Jude says, we stand before God blameless. He can't find anything wrong with it. And that's perfect. 
The whole concept of being perfect is really hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to swallow because we know how imperfect we really are. Often we don't even want to read Matthew 5, 48 as perfect. How many times have you heard from the pulpit when a preacher quotes that verse, he says, but that's not what it really means. Perfect means complete or mature. It doesn't mean perfect. Well, brethren, it means perfect. It means what it says. Complete and maturity may be part of it. And I'll accept that. But it's more to that. But even if you left out the word totally, you can't get around the fundamental point that Jesus is making. He is telling us to be like God. And I think that's amazing. God is telling us to be like Him. To be perfect. Wow! One of the problems that makes this so difficult for us is that we don't understand what perfect is. Or what perfect means. By whose standard are we defining perfect? Are we to be perfect in our own eyes? Well, no. Or maybe it's how God defines perfect. I have five grandchildren. They're perfect. They're wonderful. You may disagree. That's fine. But your opinion doesn't count. With all due respect, I don't care what you think about my grandchildren. They're perfect. I'm their grandfather, and it's my prerogative as their grandfather to declare them what they are, and they're perfect. I wouldn't change anything about them. When it comes to my grandchildren, it's my prerogative. And that's the way it is with God. He's the boss. Don't argue with the boss. Our perfection is in how God sees us. Joel Olstein told the following story that I believe captures what's going on with our relationship with God. An old Chinese woman went to the stream every morning and every evening to get water. She used two clay pots that hung on a yoke that she carried across her shoulders. But one of the pots had a crack in its side that ran from the top to about halfway down the side. Every trip the old woman made, she came back to her house with one full pot of water and one pot half full. Since the cracked pot lost water through the crack all the way from the stream to the house, well, the pot with the crack in it saw how hard the old woman worked and felt terrible that half of the water she placed in its care was lost, spilled as she walked back to the house. Day after day, the cracked pot felt worse and worse about the situation to the point it just couldn't stand it. The pot envied the pot without the crack, thinking how good it would be to be perfect, to do its job so well. The pot thought it could make up the loss with its tears, but realized that the tears would be lost as well. There was nothing it could do. In total humiliation and agony, the pot with the crack finally spoke to the old woman, telling her how sad it was that it was so broken and so worthless. The old woman was astounded. No, you've got it all wrong, she told the crackpot. You're not worthless. You're exactly what I want you to be. You're exactly what I need. The crackpot just couldn't believe what it was hearing. How could this be? She was just being kind, and that made the crackpot feel all that much worse. 
The old woman continued, haven't you noticed which side of the path to the stream the flowers grow on? They grow on only one side, your side. Every morning and every evening when we come back from the stream, you water the flowers. Every day I cut beautiful flowers and I bring them into my house and they bring me great joy. And without you, I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't trade you for anything in the world. That's the way it is with God. He is so powerful and so wise that he uses our weaknesses to accomplish his ends. He is so powerful, he enables us to be what he wants us to be. We can be perfect because his power makes us perfect. All we need to do is surrender our will to him and let him do his thing. We see example after example in God's word of where God uses our weaknesses to his glory to accomplish his will. Abraham, David, Gideon, all stories of people's weaknesses used to the glory of God. In Exodus chapter 4, God tells Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. Moses is not excited about the job at all. He tells God that people won't listen to him. He tells God that he's slow of speech. He tells God to send someone else more qualified. Moses tells God to send Charlton Heston. In the movie The Ten Commandments, Moses is portrayed by Charlton Heston. Who wouldn't listen to Charlton Heston? Let my people go! I mean, that's impressive if you've seen that movie. While it sounds like Moses was no wimp, Moses was no Charlton Heston. God didn't make Moses into a Charlton Heston and then send him off to do the job. God didn't make Moses an eloquent speaker. He didn't make Moses into this imposing figure. He didn't fix Moses. God took Moses as he was in spite of his weaknesses, gave him the tools that he needed to do the job, and then sent him off to do it. Sometimes we pray to God, fix me, change us, take away our weaknesses to make us better, and then we'll be equipped to do the job. Paul, even though when he was doing God's work and was fully committed to the work, he prayed himself that a weakness that tormented him be taken away. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, <clears throat> there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? We have a hard time with that. No wonder we have a hard time seeing ourselves as God sees us. 
But Paul was smart enough to know that sometimes our weaknesses are a good thing. They keep our focus on God and where our strength really comes from. How many times have we seen great public figures or great preachers brought down from grace because of their arrogance? Thinking that they were great in their own eyes, relying on their own accomplishments, instead of staying close to God and totally reliant on the Almighty Father. Paul also knew that when people considered his weaknesses, they could also better see God's glory and his power. And that's exactly what Paul wanted. And you know, that's what our job is, so that others might see God's glory and his power. It certainly never hurts to ask God to remove our weaknesses to make us better, to make us more eloquent, to make us more handsome. I'm still waiting on that. To make us more appealing, to make us stronger in the eyes of others so that we'd be able to do the job better. But don't be surprised when God tells us that His grace is sufficient. And it is. It's more than sufficient. He is the enabler. He has the power. And to have access to that love and that power 24-7, love that overcomes my innumerable faults, my innumerable shortcomings, and makes me capable is so much more important to me than God just fixing me. While Moses was certainly no Charlton Heston at the beginning, I suspect that at the end of his life, through years of faithful service, Moses was much different than he was to begin with. While God may not zap us to take away all that we think might make us insufficient, we should expect to be strengthened and to change as we serve God. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested and they stand before the Sadducees. They had been arrested for preaching Jesus crucified and raised from the dead. And in verse 13, speaking of the Sadducees, it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Peter and John had changed from untrained, uneducated, rough, crude men to men capable of standing before the highest nobility of the land to proclaim Jesus. And note why. The Sadducees saw it. They had been with Jesus. In 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul talks about having been strengthened as he served the Lord. In Colossians 1.9, Paul continues, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening, strengthening with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Paul talks about being strengthened with all power, but that strengthening, at least in part, is a product, a result of our service to the glory of God. 
Sometimes we use our weaknesses just as Moses did as an excuse for not doing the job. How many times have we heard or said ourselves, well, that's just the way I am? Basically saying, don't expect much from me because I'm flawed. Well, that's a cop-out. The next time you catch yourself thinking that, don't. God does not accept that excuse, and neither should we. We may have weaknesses, but God's power is stronger than our weaknesses, and he fully makes us able to do what needs to be done. Sometimes when we forget that it's God's opinion that counts, we often substitute our own standard for God's standard. It's bad enough when we do that, applying it to ourselves, when we evaluate ourselves, but it's absolutely terrible when we apply it to others, particularly those in the church. Romans 14 tells us not to do that. In Romans 14, 4, it says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's God's power we need to be concerned with, not one another's imperfections. Jesus commands us to be perfect as God is perfect. And it's not just an order, it's an expectation. We need to grab onto that expectation for ourselves and make it our own. We need to recognize that we can't achieve that without God's help. We have to totally rely on God. We can't do this without Jesus working in our lives to make it so. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, to be like God. He makes us a promise that that can be achieved. If you doubt that, I have two additional scriptures I'd like to read tonight. Two powerful scriptures that underscore this very promise. Romans 8, starting with verse 31. Listen to the promise that's made to us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, all, for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus calls us to be perfect as his Father is perfect, and he backed it up with his life. In Ephesians 3, Paul continues in another very, very powerful scripture. Paul records his prayer starting in verse 14. 
For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its names, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. All of these promises are found in Christ Jesus. Galatians tells us we put on Christ in baptism. We clothe ourselves with Christ. We clothe ourselves with these promises. If anyone here needs to, tonight to, to do that, or if there's anything that we can do for you tonight, please make your needs known as together we stand and sing.